You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Last week, our senior pastor opened up God's word and told us about the need of the season of Easter tonight, or this morning, we're going to be opening up John 13 and consider the glory of the Easter season. So please open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. I wonder if you could follow any mentor so that you could learn to live a successful life, who would you want to follow? Recently, Time Magazine revealed their list of the top 100 influencers from 2017. These are some of the names that you might have found on there that maybe would have intrigued you to be a person that you might want to follow. Maybe you're the optimistic type. Uh, You believe in the best of others and want to see the best of others come out Uh, Maybe you would want to follow someone like Melinda Gates. Melinda Gates is the co-founder of the Gates Foundation. And with a firm belief in human potential, along with a massive personal wealth, maybe you recognize her husband's name, Bill, she's aiming for the heights of eradicating poverty across the world. Maybe you're the creative type. You're always aiming for the highest and always going for excellence, but never want to settle down. And you're willing to take the risk to try something new. Then maybe you'd want to follow someone like Donald Glover. Whether he is winning Grammys or Emmys, whether it's stand-up comedy, R&B, hip-hop, or any other type of entertainment platform he chooses... He comes into the scene, changes the game, reaches the top, wins the awards, and right at the peak, changes it up because he wants to do something new. Maybe you're the driven type, and you want to follow a single-minded leader driven to succeed at any cost. Maybe you'd want to follow someone like Jeff Bezos. The Amazon CEO is one of the richest men in the world. And whether it's online retail shopping or space exploration, he's not content until he gets the market lead and then he invents a new market. At this time of the year, the Christian church remembers Easter. And the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of the fame and influence of the name of Jesus. Time just released their newest list from 2017. Well, in 365 days, they'll have a new list of new names for 2018. And then a year later, they'll have a new list of new names in 2019. But Philippians chapter 2 reminds the church that there is one name above every name. One person who through centuries and millennia has captivated the hearts of masses that would follow him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says that Jesus humbled himself. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, we are considering the eternal and unmatched fame and glory of the name of Jesus, which is celebrated in the Easter story. Each of these three individuals that I previously named and all 100 of the people on that influencers list, they got their name on that list because they aimed for excellence and earned it by their effort. That's how they got their fame. Jesus is different. Uniquely, Christ has been crowned with supreme glory because he humbled himself and served. As we always do in honor of God's word, let's stand together to read it. And I'm going to read John chapter 13, verse 1 to verse 5. This is the word of God. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, humble us today and open our eyes that we would see Jesus Christ as the scriptures reveal him. Lord, we all work hard to try and make a name for ourselves and by excelling we think that we can do that yet Jesus uniquely didn't try to assert himself at the top but he humbled himself and served show us show us lord this glorious humility cause us to be to marvel at it and to be motivated by it in Jesus name amen Christ has been crowned with supreme glory because he humbled himself and served. Yes, this paradoxically, the glory of Jesus is distinguished by his humility. But let's start here. What is humility? Well, it's more than a thinking thing. It's a doing thing. Humility is an action that motivates an attitude and the heart, excuse me, it's an attitude that motivates an action. And the heart of humility answers the question, who do I think is most significant? Here's a definition. Authentic humility counts others as more significant than themselves. And Jesus showed us this humility by washing his disciples' feet. Now, this was a normal custom in ancient Jewish homes. When you would go over to someone's place for dinner, someone would wash everyone's, all the guests' feet. 
But this place where they had dinner tonight was a rented space, and uh, washing feet was so disliked as a chore that it was relegated to the job of servants. But since they were in a rented space, there was no servants to wash their feet. So who's going to do the dirty work? Well, maybe, maybe one of Jesus' students, one of his disciples should wash the feet. Well, no one wanted to do that. Because they knew that if they were the one who washed someone else's feet, they would have been admitting, uh, I'm inferior to you. And none of them wanted to admit that. But certainly the teacher, a, a role that is intrinsically su- superior to a student or a disciple, certainly the teacher wouldn't wash their feet, would he? The Christian scriptures explain that Jesus is a human teacher whose message revolutionized the entire world and all of history. But more than a human teacher, Jesus of Nazareth is the only chosen savior to restore peace to the whole world. Yet more than a human teacher and more than a chosen savior, The Christian scriptures teach that Jesus is the only Son of God who together with the Father and the Holy Spirit created the entire world. Why would someone who is obviously more significant than anyone else in the room humble himself to the place of least significance? John 13, 1 gives us the answer. Love. Look at the verse with me, John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is stunning. Jesus' glorious humility is a stunning paradox, and you're going to hear me say that word stunning a lot today. It is stunning that the chosen Savior, the very Son of God, the teacher, would in love humble himself to not only just cleanse the stains of dirty feet, but it's stunning that the sinless one would humble himself and suffer the punishment of guilty sinners to cleanse the stains of their souls. Yes, this is the glorious message of Easter. In love, Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins and enjoy eternal and abundant life with God. That's the message of a teacher worth following. That's the work of a savior worth believing. That is the act of a God worth worshiping. Do you consider that it's worth it? Maybe you've been sitting in church pews for a long time, and you've agreed with the Bible for a long time, but your heart isn't with Jesus Your heart's somewhere else. Your heart's in your academics. Your heart's in your family. Your heart's in your sports team. Your heart's in money. Okay, 
if you agree with the truth of Jesus, you believe in Jesus, that is not the summit of the Christian faith. You've only reached base camp. The summit of the Christian faith is worship. And in love, Jesus gave his life for us so that we could give our lives for him. Maybe though you're just curiously considering the claims of Christianity, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Then I would say to you, like the masses have in centuries before, turn your back to your own sin. Turn your back to the world. Turn your back to living life your own way. And fix your faith fully on Jesus Christ to live for him. And you will not miss anything that you have left behind. Do it today. Fix your faith on Jesus. Turn from your sin and he will receive you. And you will be affirmed in his forgiveness. And you will be satisfied with his love. It is stunning to consider the paradox of the glory and humility of Jesus. And as we go deeper into the passage, we're going to see what was happening in the consciousness of Christ when he chose to humble himself and served. John 13 is going to reveal to us four thoughts that Christ had when he chose to humble himself and serve. Here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes. I hope you are. Jesus humbled himself and served, knowing that his hour had come. John 13, 1 says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In the Gospel of John, when the writer uses the word hour, when Jesus talks about his hour, he's talking about the appointed time that he's know is coming, that the Father has actually fixed in eternity past, the time that he knew that was coming when he would be gruesomely tortured and murdered on the cross. Last week, Pastor Paul mentioned that there was a time in Jesus' life when he knew that his hour was coming. And he knew that his hour was coming when he got to Jerusalem. And he fixed his sight to go to Jerusalem. Well, in John chapter 12, he arrives in Jerusalem. So turn your Bible one page to the left with me, John chapter 12, verse 27, and we'll see what was going through the mind of Christ when he knew that his hour was now upon him. John 12, 27, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In the year 1870, some travelers were going through an area that would eventually become the state of Wyoming in America. And they became across a geyser, you know, this like pocket of heat underneath of some water which would boil up and then water would erupt out of it. And they noticed that the geyser had predictable patterns and would shoot very high into the air. 
they gave that geyser a name, and it's the same one that's in the famous Yellowstone National Park called Old Faithful. Maybe you've been there and seen it, or maybe you haven't, but you can uh, by going on Google Maps like I did this past week. And if you would go and see Old Faithful, this geyser, you'll notice that there is a, a designated seating area a couple hundred yards away from the geyser where you can be at a safe place to view the eruption, which happened at predictable times. But it's over decades and decades and decades that they have this data to be able to predict exactly when the next eruption will happen. I don't think they had that data in 1870. And actually, Wikipedia told me that those first explorers used the geyser as their washing machine. I wonder if one time when they may have been washing their clothes, unaware that it may have been going to erupt, if all of a sudden the geyser just erupted upon them and they wouldn't have been able to escape. When Jesus said, that his soul was troubled thinking about the impending cross. A troubled soul experiences mental and emotional anguish erupt upon itself in a way that it cannot avoid and often is crippling. Has this ever happened to you? Fear heats up, anxiety boils over, and then almost as predictably as old faithful itself, you are overwhelmed with mental and emotional anguish. That happened to Jesus. Yet here, we see an example of his perfect hum humanity. As the perfect human, suffering through mental and emotional anguish, he didn't have to have a flight reaction or a fight reaction. In the midst of mental and emotional anguish, Jesus still humbled himself and served. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are called to follow the example of Jesus as a servant. If we are going to serve like Jesus, we must learn to serve even when it's hardest. Though maybe you have felt like you can't serve in certain times. When fear comes, when anxiety boils over, I can't serve my wife. I can't serve my family. I can't serve my church. I'm going to stick this weekend out and stay at home. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Then let me encourage you with the words of Jesus. Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 11, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your mind and your emotions are filled with anguish, don't shrink back. Don't try and struggle through. Go to Jesus. Learn from him. He offers rest. He is gentle. By going to Jesus in prayer and faith, does that mean that your mental and emotional anguish will just dissolve away? I'm not convinced that that's what happened for Christ when he experienced it. But he learned in the midst of his anguish to still humble 
himself and serve. Not shrink back, not struggle away. Jesus humbled himself and served, and he can teach us to do the same. This is the glory of Christ. Christ has been crowned with supreme glory because he humbled himself and served, knowing that his hour had come, but then also this, knowing that he would be betrayed. Look back at the book, John 13, verse 2. Jesus says, during, excuse me, the word of God says, during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, verse 5, then he poured a water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Certainly the pain of fear and anxiety causes anguish, doesn't it? What then causes, how, how then are we caused to feel pain through relational pain and anguish? The pain of going home to an indifferent spouse. The pain of going home to have another confrontation with a rebellious child. The pain of being alone and fearing that you will always be alone. Jesus experienced relational pain too, knowing that he would be betrayed by a friend. How did that affect him? Well, look at John 13, verse 21. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, emotional and mental anguish, and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. There are certain foods that I eat that just leave a bad taste in my mouth. There are certain foods that I like that might leave a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, for instance, I despise the taste of black licorice. Maybe you like that. Good for you. The taste of black licorice is similar to like the smell of black tar for me. Why would I eat something that smells like black tar? Maybe you enjoy it. Good for you. On the other hand, there, what, something I really like that you might really find distasteful is uh, cilantro. Apparently, the taste of cilantro to some people is actually like eating soap. It's a real chemical thing. Well, I'm sorry to say that if you suffer with that problem, you will never have queso or salsa as good as I do. It's just a fact. Just like food, though, there are some names that leave a distasteful kind of feeling in our mouth, in our minds. Maybe you're a Canadian hockey fan. The name Gary Bettman is very distasteful to you. Maybe, maybe you're an indie music fan, and the name Nickelback is really distasteful for you. On a more serious note, uh, what about the name Harvey Weinstein? What taste does that leave in your mouth? It wasn't necessarily distasteful at the time. But what about the name Judas Iscariot? He wasn't a betrayer yet when Jesus was eating dinner with him. Three years he lived with Jesus. Three years he followed Jesus. Three years he carried the bag that had the money that paid the living of Jesus and all the disciples. And then, Jesus' friend betrayed the Son of God with a kiss for the price of 30 pieces of silver. Judas was at the table that night too. Jesus washed his betrayer's feet too.
Here again, we see the perfect humanity of Jesus. Knowing that he would be betrayed by a close friend caused him tremendous anguish, yet stunningly, he still humbled himself and served. And if we are going to serve like Jesus, then we need to learn to serve even our enemies. Who's the individual whose name leaves a bad taste in your mouth? Maybe a former boss. Maybe an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe your teacher or professor. Maybe a rival on the school playground. Uh, Maybe a relative. If it seems distasteful to ever do good to that individual, that might be the one that you need to do good to. When you might say, but you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what... Do you know what Judas did to Jesus? Yet still he humbled himself and served the man who would give him over to death. Moreover, do you know that what we did to God, all of us as sinners are hostile to God, but he still showed his love to us and gave his life for us, even as we were ungodly sinners. Jesus humbled himself and served. If we're going to serve like Jesus, we need to even learn to serve our own enemies. Twice twice we've seen an example of the perfect uh, humanity of Jesus. Now, with these next two thoughts that we see in the consciousness of Christ, we will see an example of Jesus' full divinity. Jesus humbled himself and served, knowing that his hour would come, knowing that he would be betrayed, and knowing that he had been given all things into his hands. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and they had come from the God and was going back to God, verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. What does it mean that Jesus had all things in his hands. Well, if you've got something in your hands, it means that you've got control. If you've got the steering wheel in your hands, you've got control. If you've got the Netflix account in your hands, you've got control over what you and your friends watch. If you've got your hand on the thermostat, you've got control over your family's comfort in your home. If you've got control your hands on the Wi-Fi password. Um, maybe you've got control over your family's, like, sanity, right? Like, oh, did you change the password? Yes, I did. Can I please have it? Well, will you do anything? <laughs> if you've got contr- something in your hands, you've got control. Yet, here we see the full divinity of Jesus. As the Son of God and the Savior of the world, Jesus has full authority and control over the entire universe and all reality. Yet, stunningly, the ruler of all did not fight to maintain his control. He humbled himself and served. If we are going to serve like Jesus, we also must serve without struggling for control. It keeps us from serving. What do you fear that you would lose if you had no control over it? We want to have our kids' future in our hands. We want to have our career success in our hands. 
We want to have our reputation in our hands. We want to have our love life in our hands. We want to have the approval of our parents in our hands. I don't like giving up control because I convince myself that unless I'm involved directly, then it's not going to be good. And why would I give someone else a job, job that I can do knowing that I can do better? Why do I believe that I'm fit to be in the place that only Jesus can be in? Am I the ruler of all things? Can I hold all things together? Do I know the beginning from the end? Why do I believe that I should be in the place of Jesus? Why do you? Why do we doubt that the one who has control over all things needs my help to be able to order it together for my good? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a loving father. If you are, love him and are called according to his purposes, he is working everything for your good and he doesn't need your help. So, friend, let go of control and trust God. Jesus was able to serve without struggling for control. This is liberating for us. This is liberating for us because when we recognize that I don't need to have my hands in everything, that I can stop focusing on everything that's on my mind and everything around me, and I can start focusing on serving others. Jesus wasn't worried about losing control or losing authority. If we're going to serve like Jesus, we must learn to serve without struggling for control. Letting go and trusting God will free us to humble ourselves and serve. Here's the fourth and last thing that it says that Jesus knew in the passage. Jesus humbled himself and served, knowing that he had come from the Father and knowing that he would return to the Father. What does this mean? Well, look at the book. In verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, verse 5, poured a water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. What does this mean? By acknowledging that he came from the Father and was going to the Father, Jesus was uh, knew and was reminded that earth, the world, is not his native home. Several other passages, Jesus reiterates this. In John 8, 23, he says, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. John 17, 16, They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. Okay, it's not of this world, so where is it? Jesus' true home, the place where he came from and the place where he is now, is heaven. The scriptures teach that Jesus is the eternally existing Son of God. At an appointed time, Jesus came from heaven to earth and dwelt amongst humanity. He was seen on, and we have the accurate record of his life, lived for 33 years. But 33 years of human living is a molecule of a speck of sand of the seashore of existence, that unending that Jesus lived. His true home is in heaven. On earth, we saw him as a servant, 
But how is he recognized in heaven? In heaven, Jesus is seated on a glorious throne. In heaven, Jesus is worshiped without ceasing. In heaven, Jesus exercises his authority without contention. Here again, we see the full divinity of Jesus. He knew he was the son of God, yet stunningly, the eternally existing one, still humbled himself and served without struggling for others to give him recognition. The struggle for recognition is an attitude that invades every heart through every culture of every time. 21st century where we live, or first century when Jesus lived. On March 30th, 2017, a song was released that some of you might know, others of you might not know. Regardless of whether you know it or not, the way in which it has been received demonstrates that um, it's been very influential. It was released on March 30th, 2017 and peaked at number one on the Billboard charts. Billboard also said that it was a part of the number one best album of 2017. On two streaming services alone, Spotify and YouTube, apart from Apple Music or others, two streaming music services alone, it's been streamed 1.2 billion times. And the hook of the song goes like this. Be humble. Sit down. The artist Kendrick Lamar is recognized as one of the top hip-hop artists in his genre. No one's arguing that. And he made a song wanting other people to know it. I'm at the top. Recognize my place. And you get in yours. I think we like that song because we want to get to his place and say that same thing too. 21st century and 1st century. Do you know what the disciples were talking about when Jesus was thinking about how he was about to serve? While Jesus was thinking about how he was going to wash their feet, they were all discussing about who amongst them was the best disciple and apostle. Luke 22 says that they were arguing who amongst us is the greatest. Maybe Peter was saying, yeah, yeah, John, Jesus gave me the keys of the kingdom. Recognize your place. Sit down. I think every human heart wants recognition. But fighting for our own recognition will keep us from serving in the way God wants. Why do we do this? Why do we crave the recognition of others? Well, I know my own heart. Whether it's overt or subtle, the struggle for recognition is motivated by the belief that the affirmation of others will make me secure in my own sense of self-worth. What do you find your self-worth in? Maybe you want other people to recognize your body image. Maybe you want other people to recognize your career success. Maybe you want other people to see how nice your house is. Maybe you want financial stability and want other people to recognize that. I'll say honestly for me, it's doing stuff like exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm always afraid of my heart whenever I have the opportunity to speak the scriptures because I know that I'm a hypocrite and that I know 
that in the backs of my minds, I want other people to give me a pat on the back. And, but that's hollow. Serving like Jesus means that we're going to serve without struggling for recognition. I need God to prune me and change me in this. What about you? Beautifully, this, if we recognize this, it liberates us. Jesus lived a, had a fully actualized sense of self. He knew who he was. He knew that he was the most significant and deserved the most recognition, but he did not need to drag recognition out from his disciples. Don't you know who I am? Why aren't you serving me? Get in your place, Peter. Jesus had a fully actualized sense. Do you know who you are in Christ? Brother and sister in Christ, your self-worth is not determined by your successes or your failures or other people's recognition of either. Your self-worth is secure by God's love for you in Christ Jesus. And you need to do nothing to earn that from him. And it will never diminish. What if we knew that? That's liberating. I don't need to focus on earning your recognition. I'm liberated from my own consciousness and my own sense of trying to find security so that I could focus on serving others. If we're going to serve like Jesus, that means learning to serve without struggling for recognition. This is the season that we remember the glory of Christ through Easter, his death and resurrection. If this was the year when Jesus was crucified, then his death would have happened this Friday. On the Sunday before that, today, do you know what was happening? The Sunday before the day Jesus died, he paraded into Jerusalem, seated on a donkey, and everyone were waving palm branches, hailing him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the son of David. They were welcoming him as their king. Thursday night, Jesus washes their feet. Then Friday the same masses that were hailing him as king are calling out that he would be crucified. What attitude do you have towards Jesus today? Is it convenient that he's popular with others so you might as well join in as well? Or now is he an inconvenience to you because all of a sudden he's telling you to pick up your cross and follow him and you just want him to get out of here? What attitude do you have towards Jesus today? When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he recognized that his disciples really wasn't getting what was going on. They didn't get it. But he told them, later, you will understand. And then they did. Sunday, he paraded in. Thursday, he washed their feet. Friday, he was crucified. The following Sunday, they saw him risen from the dead. And then they knew the glory of Jesus. Jesus has been crowned with supreme glory because he humbled himself and served. If we see Jesus Christ as the scriptures have explained his true nature, 
What should we then do? Let us be a people that marvels at his glory and is motivated by his humility. Let us marvel at him, knowing that he does have supreme glory. Him having supreme glory means that he is worthy of our worship. But is your heart in it? Do you enjoy making much of Jesus with your words and your actions, or is your heart somewhere else? If your heart is somewhere else, that means you're worshiping something else. That means there's another idol in your life, and idols exist only so that they should be torn down for the Christian. If you're marveling at something other than Jesus, then tear it down. He is the teacher worth following, the savior worth believing, the God worth worshiping because he loves you. Marvel at his glory and be motivated by his humility. After washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do also. A servant is not greater than the master. Why do we think we're excluded from doing menial jobs that Jesus himself was willing to do? If we consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, let us gladly follow his example. Father in heaven, thank you for the example of Christ. Not only the way that he loved in washing feet, but the way that he loved in willingly offering up his body to be tortured and suffer in our place for our sins. God, I recognize, I recognize that I am a sinner and that the word of God says that the penalty of sin is death and that I should have deserved to suffer the wrath of God, but I am continually, Lord, keep us and guard us from ever being indifferent to the cross. You suffered in our place. Lord, give us the faith to see and recognize who we are and then to recognize who you are. Let us marvel at your glory and let us be motivated by your humility. Father, let us not think that we are people that are too great, that we can't serve the lowly, that we can't serve the marginalized, that we can't serve the needy. Lord, let us learn to count others more significant than ourselves and do something about it, just like Christ did. We confess that he is the son of God the Savior of the world, and has been crowned with supreme glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.